This is The Water Cooler. I'm your host, Joseph Harper. Each show, we bring you real and imagined tales told by people from all walks of life. Our theme this episode is leaving, and we've got five stories for you today involving risky crumpets, sudden romance, a patriotic epiphany, woofing, and Samoan family greeting protocols. A quick note before we start, these stories were told live and the language and themes may not be for everyone. Our speaker, Simon Ward, is an Auckland-based actor, writer and part-time wharfie. You might know him from popular local web series Flat 3 or as Richard in the movie I Survived a Zombie Holocaust. His story today is about how he left New Zealand in 2012 in search of something new. Ladies and gentlemen, Simon Ward. Right, so um, in 2011, I was, uh, I was quite frustrated. I, um, I'd become quite well known for work that I wasn't particularly proud of um, and, and felt quite sort of limited by that and stifled by that and really wanted to move on and wanted to develop and do more interesting things and play roles that lasted longer than 30 seconds. <laughs> um, and that wasn't really happening. And so I, I, I got to a point where I felt like I... Uh, there, there kind of wasn't anything left for me here. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I just had that sense of, like, even on a personal level, you know, uh, when you've lived in a place for a long time, you can barely walk down the street without bumping into people you know, which is a good thing, but you do start to get that sense of, I kind of feel like I know everybody here, you know? Um, and I did need to change. I'd never done an OE. Um, I had... Uh, I had been to, New, uh, to America, been to New York, fallen in love with New York, decided I wanted to live in New York. Um, I'd even uh, just put a girl that I was seeing on a plane to New York, um, and she was over there saying, I'll see you soon in New York, because I couldn't stop talking about how I wanted to be in New York. Um, so I, I didn't have the means or the uh, visa, so I started putting my ducks in a row, got my shit in a pile, and, uh, and moved to Sydney. Um, <laughs> Australia, yeah. Um, the logic being, of course, well, I didn't have the visa for America, right? So um, I, was, I was frustrated here, was sick of being here, needed to make a change. I was like, okay, well, I'll go to a, Australia. Lots of Kiwis make the move over there. Uh, the greener pastures thing, uh, get over there, make Australian dollars. They were stronger back then. Um, and, uh, and the idea was, you know, at some point, surely I'm going to win the green card lottery, obviously, everybody does. And at, when I do, I will have been making Australian dollars, I can go over and, you know, um, that didn't happen. Um, and I, I sort of very quickly learnt once I got over there, well, the A, that it, plan, it pays to plan ahead and, you know, maybe have a job to go to, things like that, practical issues, um, but also that I was, um, I was just trading one set of frustrations for another. Uh, I, I very quickly started to feel like I was banging my head against a brick wall over there, you know, um, and that I wasn't progressing the same way I wasn't, well, I felt like I wasn't progressing back here. Um, I, I had, before I left New Zealand, started a blog, which is a terrible idea. Um, and w during this time in Australia, I, um, I, you know, came to better sense and, um, and deleted the blog and started a journal instead, <laughs> which is a better idea because nobody ever reads my innermost frustrations spewed out for all to go, I don't give a shit. Um, uh, and, but, but just to paint a little picture of, uh, 
a, uh, just, a, just a sense of my state of mind at the time. I've brought that fucking book with me. <laughs> so here are a few little um, samples of just where my head was at. Let me find something. Uh, okay, yes, yes, here we go. Uh, 21st of July 2013, I, I, I had a decent stab at it over there for a little while. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I think the best thing for my acting career would be to focus on it less. <laughs> yep. Um, so, uh, where are we? Here we go. This is a little while later, obviously. Oh, here we go. Yeah, I did start to think of my time over there as, um, as sort of my, yeah, 40 days in the desert, you know, because I compare myself to Jesus all the time. Um, maybe the last two years were my days in the wilderness. Maybe I'm just not, uh, maybe I'm not just admitting defeat, but accepting this period as one punishing round in a much longer fight. I definitely feel more dot, 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 galvanized. See, the desperate positivity of somebody who really has nothing, you know? Um, yeah, and, and this is around about the time that I started seeing sense. There were some others that I seem to have missed, but I can't find them. I'm not going to put you through that. Um, because I closed out this particular entry with, all I need is to go back and continue tending the seeds I've sown in these last two years of shit. So, um, you know, finding the positive and the negative... You know, yeah, um, but that's the thing. So I did, um, I did end up coming back, and and I had I had really tried while I was over there. I I, I had friends over there who were going over and succeeding and doing really well, and that was part of the problem. You know, was was I, I sort of was like it, it, it's fucking Australia. You know, like like it's the, going to Sydney is not the beginning of a big odyssey. It's it's over the ditch. It's, it's really fucking close. Um, and so it kind of, it was as, as frustrating as it was to be over there and not succeeding, it was equally confusing to be over there and not succeeding. It was just like, but this is where you go to, you know, move forward, right? But it just didn't really happen that way. Um, the saving grace was that I was writing and I had a lot of time on my hands. I was, I was doing a lot of casual work for loathsome people. Um, but, um, but in the downtime, I was, I was. I was writing a lot. And I, by the time I came back, I came back to do a show. Um, well, eventually I came back to do a show. I came back for my brother's wedding and felt instantly so connected here in a way that I wasn't over there, um, in a way that I didn't feel when I first left, you know? Um, so I kind of went, okay, right, well, there is something for me here, you know? Uh, it took me a while to see it. it, took me that space and that isolation to see it. Uh, but I kind of went, okay, well, I'm going back. I'll give it another few months. I've got to come back because I'm doing this play, um, but I'll, give it, I'll, I'll play the last of the cards in my hand, see what happens. Did that, nothing happened, that's fine. Uh, by that stage, I kind of accepted it and um, came back uh, with half a draft of this play, uh, which I ended up doing the, a few months later. Um, and 
Yeah, people would ask me when I came back, what, uh, you know, oh, oh are, you, are you back for good? And I would honestly say, well, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm back indefinitely, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's almost a year and a half later. I've been fairly busy since coming back. And uh, I don't know that there's an ending to this story because I think one of the things I learned in, in going through this whole process was that it's going to be an ongoing process, you know? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I guess in a nutshell, I, I had to go away in order to come back again. Ladies and gentlemen, Simon Ward. Big thanks to Simon for sharing his story. Our speaker, Hamish Dudley MacDonald, originally hails from Tokoroa. But after completing his degree in Wellington, Hamish bought one-way tickets to Thailand and set off with his high school sweetheart, Amy, to explore the world. Here's his story. Ladies and gentlemen, Hamish MacDonald. About six months ago, I was working far too many hours for little appreciation and even less pay. I wasn't happy, I didn't... So I did what I think any sane person should do. I quit my job, I quit, created change, and I decided to start a food cart. A food cart selling crumpets. <laughs> it's not even a joke, that's the truth. <laughs> at the time, it didn't seem crazy at all. It seemed a perfectly normal thing to do. It was based on something. It was based on my gut feeling, and that's how I base a lot of my decisions. Um, I think life lessons start early, really early. I was born in Tokoroa. Luckily, two weeks later, we moved. <laughs> and over the next eight years, we moved to quite a few places. One of those places was the Philippines. Mum and Dad were teachers and decided it would be a good place to teach. So with three little kids, we moved on over. It was hot, it was crowded, and I still remember those crazy smells. I was only about six, so all I really cared about was my toy dog named Dog, my toy bear named Bear, and my mum named Mum. <laughs> However, Mum soon realised Philippines wasn't the place to raise three kids. And uh, after just one year, we packed up and we came home. I think that's one of those subconscious le lessons that I've learned, that if something isn't working out, that if something's not quite right, there's always something you can do. But in order for something to change, you have to change it. But how about deciding what that change should be? I've always let my gut, my intuition, play a large role in everything I do. It's this crazy muscle which reads any situation, references it against your desires, your, what you've seen, what you've heard, what you're... Um, experience are, then cross-references it with the future. It's scary, it's scary to follow because it's hard to understand. Often it just feels like fear. That's the scary thing. It's, it's hard to understand. You don't know if it's indigestion, if it's heartburn, or if it's your intuition. <laughs> What's it saying? Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? With intuition, you have to stop listening to everyone around you. You have to focus on that weird muscle inside you, that feeling, and hopefully you won't misinterpret what it's trying to say. My first life decision was leaving high, uh, was, came once leaving high school. I love Whakatane, but I couldn't wait to leave. 
You might have guessed that my parents were travelers by the fact we lived, moved to the Philippines. I always imagined that as soon as I left high school, I would have jumped on a plane and gone and walked through the same deserts and the same jungles, slept near the same ancient ruins that my parents did. But whether it was me mixing up that intuition, that feeling in here with fear, or if it was New Zealand's obsession with universities, but I signed up to four years and did my time, got my papers. But uh, the good thing is after that, I got another life decision. This time, me and my high school sweetheart bought one-way tickets to Thailand. We had no plans but to get from Thailand to Turkey overland. Our plan did have a few holes. It looked more like a crumpet. <laughs> Truth is, it wasn't even a plan. It was a sentence to get from Thailand to Turkey overland. <laughs> we did some prep work. We bought a, a world atlas <laughs> from the airport as we were leaving. We booked our first night's accommodation in Aussie during the stopover. We didn't know where we were going, what we were doing. No, there was no timeline. There was no must, no must nots. Anything and everything was possible, as long as it fitted in with our one-sentence plan. Traveling like this is a blast, and doing it with someone you love is even more amazing. Even though my pack was probably about as heavy as Amy, and Amy's pack was probably heavier than me, the muscles that got the biggest workout wasn't our calves, it was that funny muscle in here. Every day it was working over time, letting you know whether it was a good idea to follow that strange man, <laughs> to ride in that dinged up taxi, to eat at that dodgy roadside cafe. Saying yes can take you to amazing places, saying no might keep you alive. <laughs> we were at a bus station somewhere in Cambodia. We bumped into an American both of us going in different directions. He gave us the name of a guy in a small town, literally a four-hour dirt road detour from where we were thinking of going. I don't think the town was in the guidebooks and it was barely on the maps. But our intuition said this guy was cool, so we went with it. We met up with his friend, a guy named Smiley, and Smiley was Smiley. <laughs> he ended up taking us on motorbikes further into the middle of nowhere. We ferried across rivers and we hiked for another day before reaching a remote hill tribe. This tribe was so remote, even Pol Pot couldn't find them. <laughs> With this tribe, we drank rice wine, we ate some crazy shit, we sang some crazy songs, and we had the most amazing experience. This is bliss. When you have that churning feeling, you understand it's your intuition and you go with it. Unfortunately, you can't say yes to everything. You can't go along with every idea you have. You have to let your intuition sort out the yeses from the noes. Later, when in Russia, we were riding a train. And the train rides in Russia are measured in days, not hours. The only thing out the window is, is endless white. It can get a bit boring if you don't know the other people in your carriage. So we had sparked up a conversation with three other Russians. A nice Russian couple and this other Russian guy. And he was Russian as fuck. Straight fringe, <laughs> gold chain, white singlet, shiny track pants. I can't remember his name, so I'm going to call him Ivan. We're all sitting on the lower bunks, a small table in front of us. Out come potatoes, out come giant gherkins, jars of pickles, 
and of course, being Russia, bottles of vodka. Off come the leads, they get screwed up and thrown away. You know those bottles are going to be drunk and dry. <laughs> so we drink and we talk and we talk and we drink. With our few words of Russian and their little English, we've been invited to, uh, to Ivan's friend's bathhouse up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it sounded lovely, but we didn't make it a sure thing. Lots of drinking and, and gherkins later. We're talking about jobs. She's a graphic designer, her boyfriend's a builder, and it comes to Ivan's turn. He goes a little bit quiet, starts thinking. The three of them start talking in Russian, which wasn't uncommon when they were trying to think of an English word. She says, disappear. Ivan says, da, da, disappear. We're like, I'm like, sweet, you're a magician. <laughs> Нет, нет, people. I make people disappear. <laughs> Granted, this did sway our intuition. <laughs> we didn't go to this Russian bathhouse. We didn't eat caviar with him. We didn't sit in a sauna. We didn't shoot off AK-47s. AK it might have been amazing, or we might have disappeared. <laughs> Every decision you make, every yes or no, every go or stay, will have an effect on your life. Who knows what they are? I don't yet know the outcome of leaving my job, but if my intuition keeps its track record, Kraken Crumpets will open on the corner of Kyber Pass and Park Road next week. <laughs> And it's going to be amazing. <laughs> and hopefully not something that just disappears. <laughs> thank you. A huge thank you to Hamish for sharing his story. Our speaker, Brendan Green, is a Billy T-nominated stand-up comedian who delights in telling well-crafted personal stories. His story today is about a fleeting romance he had in Paris, fabled city of love. OK, thank you very much. Um, so when I was, when I was 25, uh, I moved to Paris for a girl, uh, for a French girl, actually. Um, it sounds way too romantic when I put it like that. Uh, when I was 25, I moved to Paris because I wanted a French girl. <laughs> and I figured they'd be there. Uh, and they were. And it was great. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't meet or talk to any of them, however, because I don't speak French. Uh, that was a little uh, lack of foresight on my... On my part, literally the only thing I could say when I turned up in Paris uh, was Je suis un petit croissant. <laughs> ah, for the people in the audience like me, uh, that means I am a small croissant. Uh, so not, not, the, not the nicest thing. But however, uh, during my stay in Paris living there, I did actually meet a French girl. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, her name, uh, uh, for the sake of the story, uh, let's call her Florence. Uh, it's what her parents did. <laughs> So, uh, it was, this is, okay, this is the short story of Florence and I in Paris. Um, uh, we met on a Wednesday night at uh, dinner with mutual friends, and we got along really well. Uh, so we went out for a date on the Friday night, and it was like one of the great dates, like, you know, when you first connect, and it was really cool. And then on Saturday morning, uh, I left Paris forever. Because uh, <laughs> that, that was my last date. Uh, so my story kind of, uh, kind of takes part 
in that the last little bit before leaving. Like the little, the little space between when you book the tickets and when you get on the train, the last kind of the few days before leaving, that's when things can kind of like, okay, if life, if life is like a, like a, like a book of chapters, uh, kind of like, uh, you know, when you turn the page and you see the next chapter starting, but there's still a paragraph or two of words and you're like, I'm going to focus on these words, but you keep looking at the other page, but you want to focus, but you want to keep looking on the other page. Uh, that is like leaving to me. Uh, storytelling, boom, metaphor. Uh, so, uh, this is, so I met, I met, I met, uh, well, I spent about all of my time filling in my chapter before that, just doing walking tours, uh, sitting around with other New Zealanders, talking English, uh, kind of, just, you know, the things you do, uh, and, and, and that happened for everything, and then I knew that I was going to travel around Europe for about a month and then head back to New Zealand, uh, and so what happened was, uh, on the Wednesday before I left, I went to dinner with a mutual friend. I knew one person there, and she had some friends, and that's where I met Florence. Uh, and we started uh, talking. It was, it was fantastic, because she could speak English, and she wanted to speak English to me, and she liked talking to me, and she liked me. Uh, and I, I, okay, I knew that she did like me, because this is the thing about French girls. Uh, they'll tell you. And it's amazing, literally, like somebody during dinner, somebody asked her to go outside and she stood up and said, yes, I will go outside, but when I come back, I want to sit next to Brendan because I like him. <laughs> it, was, it was like we were at primary school coming back from playtime or something. I don't know. Although, to be honest, she was going outside for a cigarette. Uh, so I guess it was like we we're at primary school in Northland. <laughs> Such a bad joke. Uh, yeah. So she came back in and she sat next to me and we started talking and we got along really well. Uh, and, and I knew that if I asked her out at the end of the night, she'd say yes. Uh, so at the end of the night, I asked her out and she said no. Uh, yeah. Because uh, she was busy the next night on the Thursday. And I said, well, how about Friday then? And she said, but that's your last night in Paris. And I said, yeah, but I think you might be worth it. <laughs> Even I was surprised that that came out of my mouth. Uh, and, and it worked, so, so we, went, uh, uh, we went on a date on the Friday night. During the day, I said goodbye to everybody that I'd known there. Uh, and then I met her at Paris Saint-Germain metro station, another four words I picked up. Uh, and when I came out of the metro station, she was there, uh, which is another thing I do like about French girls. They turn up. Uh, big, big fan of that. Uh, and she, so she was gorgeous, and she could still speak English and still wanted to talk to me, and it was fantastic. So I said, hey, this is my last night, and you're the local. Can you take me to the best restaurant you know? Uh, and so for my last meal in Paris, France, you know, the place that invented the word menu, uh, she took me to an American diner for burgers. <laughs> And I had the single best barbecue double cheeseburger I have ever had in my life. And it was the great, like, you know when you meet somebody and you just connect, like, she got me. And I got a burger. <laughs> and it was so good. And we just, we just, we, we drank some wine and everything like that. And then we went to, uh, we left there and we went to a bar, a very incredibly Parisian bar, and we drank red wine and we were just talking about life and about like myself and about her and just in a way that you can only do if you're not scared of anything kind of thing. Like that, like my eyes were on the next page. So the overthinking part of my brain was distracted and getting caught off guard, uh, mo mostly because I was tipsy, to be honest. Uh, but we were, we were chatting away and it was wonderful. But then the little tipsy voice in my head did spark up and said, hey, Brendan, this is your last night in Paris. You're never going to see this girl again. Kind of like, go big or go home. Like, let's, let's do something awesome here. 
Uh, so what I did was I pulled out uh, my charm gun and I set it to woo. <laughs> and don't worry, I didn't say that out loud. <laughs> uh, what I did say was, hey, Florence, this is awesome, but it's my last night in Paris. I'd like to see the city one more time. Would you like to join me for a nighttime walk? Also pretty good. Uh, and she said, we? And I said, we? Uh, and we went outside and we walked around Paris in the light rain at night time. And I don't know if you've been to Paris or if you know that it exists, uh, but it's the most romantic city in the world. And we were walking by the river and I don't want to get too poetical about it, but there was just like gloriously ornate buildings to our right glowing golden in the night. And the river sent to our left, heaving and flowing in time to the beating of the hearts in our chests. <laughs> and we were passing all of these gorgeous buildings and these storied bridges and all the different things, and it was going fantastically. Uh, and then the voice sparked up in my head again and said, hey, Brendan, this is, you know, swing for the rafters here, kind of thing, because uh, I psych myself up purely in sports cliches. <laughs> Uh, and so what I did was I, um, I stopped walking and then Florence stopped walking and said, what's up? Uh, oh, sorry, uh, Le, what's up? Uh, <laughs> and if you, <laughs> if, you, if you thought I think you might be worth it or let's go for a night walk was good, I said maybe the single best thing I've ever said out loud to another human being, I said, hey, Florence... Here's what's going to happen. <laughs> see this bridge here? We're going to walk out onto this bridge and see that bench in the middle. We're going to sit on that bench. We're going to talk for a little while, and then I'm going to kiss you. And she grabbed my hand and started walking onto the bridge. <laughs> And I was the happiest I've ever been in my life. I was so proud. In retrospect, I do realize that sounded a lot like a list of demands. <laughs> and she may have thought she was being kidnapped at that point. <laughs> may as well have just added or else at the end. So anyway, we walked onto the bridge. I was the happiest I've ever been. She was potentially scared for her life. Uh, and we got, to the, uh, we got to the bench. And we sat down. And we started that pre-kiss talk. Uh, you know, you, you know. Like the, the stuff that you're talking about, nothing but everything, and it's electric, and you're like accidentally touching hands, and you're like trying to time the licking of the lips, and <laughs> you know, you know, and you're trying to like, what's going to be the line? What's going to be the line that leads to the lean in? And uh, if you thought, <laughs> I think you might be worth it, let's go for a night drive, or kidnapping <laughs> was good. Here's what I did. I, uh, I, I brushed the hair behind her ear and I said, did you know this is the very same bridge and the exact same bench where they shot the last scene of Sex in the City? Can't nail them all, guys. <laughs> Three out of four is pretty good, though. And the thing is, she kissed me back. Like, she, she, like, that's how much of a connection we had. Like, after saying that to her face, she still kissed me. 
and then we, uh, we carried on the night. It was, it was a wonderful night. And in the morning, uh, I went and I got all my bags, and then I left uh, Paris forever. To, uh, to, to, well, I went to travel around uh, Europe for a month. And that, that travel in that time of, the, of that one month going around, that was the kind of, that was, I don't know, I was overtaken by what if. I don't know if anybody else here is this perpetual romantic what if thinker, just kind of like taken over. Like, this, it's a weird, it's a weird imagine. Like, you're trying to enjoy these beautiful surroundings, but in your mind, you're going off on an imaginary future where I stayed in Paris and I stayed with Florence and we fell in love and I was happy and everything was cool. Uh, and so, basically, like, uh, like, okay, so, uh, like that, that. Just be careful of that little time before you leave. If you're going away, like, if you're prone to romantic what ifs, that can get you sometimes. Because what actually happened was I, I changed my course of plan to going home to New Zealand, and I went back through Paris to find Florence. Uh, and I got there after a month of travelling, and I called her and I said, "Hey, do you want to hang out again?" And she said, "Yes." And then she said that she'd met a guy, a French guy. <laughs> and they were together now. And I said, that's okay. And so I went out for drinks with Florence and her boyfriend. <laughs> and my what-ifs were consumed by reality. <laughs> uh, so I guess... The moral of the story is, is, is if life is just a bunch of chapters and you're going, you're, you're, you're going on to the next one, just try and finish clean at the bottom of a page. <laughs> just try and hit there. Or more practically, I guess, if you're prone to romantic what-ifs, don't book your tickets too far ahead because it will break your heart. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Brennan Green. Thank you to Brendan for sharing his story. Our speaker, Aisha Jaffa, hails from the USA and has been engulfed in the Kiwi entertainment sphere ever since she arrived in New Zealand almost on a whim two years ago. Her story today is about her spontaneous decision to pick up roots and move to a completely different country. So I thought this was very fitting because as of last week, um, I've been in New Zealand for two years and I'm now a New Zealand resident. Hooray! <laughs> Um, and now I can actually tell you about my story from how I got from New York to New Zealand and then I actually stayed here. That's what everybody says. Why did you stay here? <laughs> it starts with my colorful, wonderful immigrant dad. So we start our story in Kampala, Uganda, 1.2 million people. My dad kind of grew up in Kampala um, during the Idi Amin kind of political revolution that was going on there. I'm not sure if you know this story, but obviously I'm gonna break it down for you. So Idi Amin, I guess, he was a rebel and he was crazy. He was like the mad king in Game of Thrones. Um, he like overthrew the prime minister and he was always paranoid that like tribes were gonna re-re-overthrow him so he would kill the entire tribe and then he would eat some of them because he was fucking crazy. Um, <laughs> So he caught on that the Indians in, in Kampala had lots and lots of money, and so he kindly gave them 90 days to get the fuck out of Kampala before he killed them. And so the UN came and they, they saved my dad's family, and my dad's family is 16 people, and they dispersed them all around the world, and my dad ended up in Naples, Italy, with his uncle, population 950,000. And my dad loves to tell this story. He's like, Aisha, we partied, and like, there was like a tree in the village that had bottles of wine just hanging from it. And you just leisurely go up and pour. You, I don't know if I believe him, but... I, 
basically, he said, um, you know, the, the UN was like, hey, dudes, like, um, can you stop using all of our money and stipends and, like, choose a country? And again, my dad loves to tell this story, which is why I'm retelling this story. Um, he had a choice between staying in Italy, Norway, Canada, and the States, which is the hardest to get in. And he says to me, Aisha, I know more American history than all Americans. So I wrote an essay, and I got into America. And I had a choice. He had a choice between Wisconsin and New York. And so he obviously chose Wisconsin. <laughs> and that's where he met my mom. And that's he, where he met the structure melting pot that is a Persian, Indian, French, German, and Luxembourg, me. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't realize this until recently, but basically that story, that epic journey that he made, even though it was forced, was one that was, that I think has kind of fueled my need for adventure in my own story. And not even that, he has like local stories where he's like, Oh yeah, casually we would like, now I sound like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> we just, you know, casually like jump into the Nile and like swim until a crocodile comes. Or let's go to school by like walking over this string over a sand, a pit, quicksand. That's what I'm trying to say. Quicksand and see if we fall in and one of his friends did fall in and die. And he was like, ha ha ha, and we did that every day. Um, <laughs> So I'm pretty sure he's fueled my, my need for like some sort of dangerous adventure and fearlessness. But the most funny thing is now he's like um, super patriotic. And so anytime that I call him anywhere in the world, he goes, Aisha, American, America is the best country in the world. We have so many jobs. And like, and then he goes, <laughs> and then he'll say like, there are no jobs in insert any place that is not Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I grew up. So that's where I grew up. That's also, uh, no, it's two million population. And um, I associate leaving with freedom, and I left Milwaukee to go to Chicago, population 10 million, to continue my education. And that's where I like, learned my obvious street smarts. Um, <laughs> I'm just such a gangster. I mean, look at this. No, um, I don't know. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I, like, became an adult in Chicago, and then I moved on to my dream city, which is New York, New York, population 20 million. And uh, I fucking love New York. I mean, it's the most amazing city. It's the international capital. And I thrive there, and I lived there for ages. For ages. Um, but like everybody, I went through my quarter-life crisis. So essentially, I was like, fuck, 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 fuck. I don't want to be in music industry. I want to be a fucking sea captain and a winemaker. Like, fuck this. <laughs> So I applied for my New Zealand working holiday visa. I was like over like the trendy, like Australia. Australia's so trendy. Everything could kill you. Oh my God, and desert and ugh. I'm just like, ugh. Um, and then, so I applied for it and then like somehow I just like, you know, New York, you just get busy and life, life, life. And I just forgot about it. And, uh, and my life was really good. I actually, um, I was about to become partner in a music management company. My punk band somehow got offered a label deal. I like, I was dating some, look, I was dating, and that was really cool. <laughs> uh, and so like at 11 p.m. at night, almost a year later, I get this, I get this call, and I, I was like, hiya, and I was like, uh, hello? And they're like, this is New Zealand, and I was like, oh, <laughs> cool. Um, and they're like, oh, yeah, so are you, are you coming? And I was like, where, where am I going? And then, and they're like, well, your visa, you know, it, it runs out in three months. If you don't come, like, you can never come back again. It was like, it was almost like the never-ending story. You can never come back. Um, um, oh, that's the other one. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but I, I freaked out. I was like, holy shit, I'm going to make a pros and cons list. Should I stay or should I go? Everything kept evening out, and I just, like, 
got so exhausted. And one night I just ended up watching The Life Aquatic, which I'd never gotten to at that point in my life, even though I love the ocean. And Bill Murray is so wise. And so, <laughs> and quite honestly, I watched this movie and there's a point in this film in which um, Steve Zizou, he's not even talking to anyone. And he, and he just says, I'm right on the edge and I don't know what's next. And I just, that really resonated with me. And so the film ended and I called the New Zealand consulate and I was like, hey guys, hey New Zealand, I'm coming. And they were like, sweet as you won't have to call us about that. <laughs> And then I just jumped, like that month, I, like, I was like, bye New York, and um, hello New Zealand. Uh, I, I, I just wanted to get rid of everything city that I knew. And so I just kind of stripped myself of everything, um, not my clothes, but just like my cell phones and my, my calendars and all that stuff. Um, and I was like, I'm gonna do this thing, this woofing thing that everybody's talking about, as in like one person I met on the plane. Um, <laughs> And uh, my first job I get is on Great Barrier Island, population less than 1,000 on the entire island. And in winter, 300, which is when I went. Um, <laughs> and, and right away, I was like getting into it. It was like, oh, I got this email. I have to count 14 days from when I got the email to get on the boat in which I need to get to the island. I was like, what the fuck is this? I was like, oh, so what time do I get on the boat to, to like meet you? And he's like, oh, there's only one time. <laughs> and I was like, how will you find me? I will know. <laughs> <laughs> So I get to Great Barrier Island, and the most scary guy picks me up. He has like three teeth, and he's like sunblasted. And he's not even my host guy. And he's like, are you from Broadway? And I was like, no, but OK. Um, <laughs> and then they took me to the most beautiful house I've ever seen on the top of a mountain, like a glass house and like all the harbors. And it's the most beautiful place. And my host, Kim, comes out, and he's like pretty normal. Um, <laughs> And the first thing he does is he goes, oh, can you harvest that, like in New Zealand fashion, can you harvest that plant over there? And I was like, yeah, I'm a gangster, I can do this. And like, like I can do everything, like harvest the plant. And I just pull this plant out and do it successfully somehow. And because it's just, I don't know. <laughs> um, I lay it on the table and he starts cutting it up and then he takes a paper out and he rolls it up and he goes, we're gonna smoke a joint every day at 10 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, okay, sweet as. <laughs> and, um, and, then, and then I just like, <laughs> I mean, he was wonderful. I actually did real farming work and I dived into the culture, not the, the weed culture, but the, the island culture, which was essentially like, you know, I learned how to hunt and gather. Like I can like cut up a kinna and I went hitchhiking, which you can't do in the States. And I climbed up a mountain 627 kilometers, kilometers, meters? I don't know, one of them up. <laughs> in a fur coat because I had no idea what the fuck I was doing, but I loved it. And, um, and I also worked in a radio, like at a radio station on the island where you can fit like one and a half people in it and people like knock on the door for requests. So <laughs> it was amazing. So, so this was like totally life-changing for me because I was like, holy shit, this place exists. It's real. I lived in it. I survived it. I loved it basically made me realize that everything is accessible. Like if I want to find the fucking jewel of the Nile, I can. And like, I didn't really fully realize that life, like living life, jumping off that page is like a thing that people do. And then it's like, they continuously do it. And it, and it is the most important thing I think in my life since I've, uh, since I went there. And so I learned that and I was just like, this is amazing. Like I'm gonna go do all the New Zealand things and like did all the New Zealand things. and. Um, <laughs> I got a call one day while I was on a boat. I tended to always be on a boat when I got this call. 
um, like going to Great Barrier because I just loved it. Um, and it was a call from this guy who, who knew my old boss in New York. He's the only person in New Zealand that he knew. And he goes, hey, uh, I heard you in town. Like, I know you know music stuff. And like, I have this girl, and she's going to blow up. And I really need your help. And I was like, uh, I'm going to be a ship captain. So <laughs> no. Um, and then he, he kept calling me again and again and again. And, and I was just like, oh, I've run out of money. And I really like New Zealand. And it's a, it's a beautiful country. And I want to stay here for a bit longer. And, and I accepted his job. And that ended up being like, the job of, of manage, being part of the management team of Lord, which is insane. And so, <laughs> and you know, a whole other story. Um, but we, you know, to coming from New York to a place that unfortunately does not always make the map to managing, being part of the management team of the largest artist on earth from like what you call Middle Earth. Um, I mean, it must mean something that I'm supposed to be here. And I don't mean by like this, this physically, but maybe like in this space, in this adventure space, um, uh, or the art space, so I must be. So now I'm here in Auckland, population, you know, everyone in this room. <laughs> <laughs> and in, in good fashion, just as my favorite person, Steve Zizou says, this is an adventure. Ladies and gentlemen, Aisha Jaffa. Big thanks to Aisha for sharing her story. Our speaker, Rose Matafeo, is a comedian, TV presenter, writer. She does it all. In 2013, she won the Billy T Award, which recognises exceptional up-and-coming New Zealand comedians. Her semi-improvised stories today are centred around the theme of leaving and draw from her experiences living and working in Auckland. Ladies and gentlemen, Rose Matafeo. Thanks. Hi. Great. Got it this year. A lot of people here tonight, a lot more than my show. Uh, <laughs> noted. Okay. Uh, some nice shoes up here on the stage. I wouldn't let that happen in my show. Um, I'm just kidding. Really endearing myself to the audience before I read out of a book. Uh, I'm 23, I don't have really many stories. I'm just going to talk about the concept of uh, leaving. And the first thing on my uh, weird. <laughs> set list is, uh, is parties. Now, I, uh, I love leaving parties so much. I love leaving parties. As soon as I get into a party, I'm scanning for the exits, just planning my escape. Like anyone who knows me, we do a show every night, Friday night here at Basement, and uh, every time after the show, everyone hangs out outside the bar, and I'm just the one who's just gunning to get to my car, because I do that weird, like, walking away exit of being like, hi, Garan, yeah, yeah, see you later, see you later. Bye, just backwards walking like out of the venue all the way to my car because I don't know I like talking to people but I just don't like um no I don't like talking to people that's what I don't like uh <laughs> mess that sentence up it's really hard though it's really hard in social situations I can do it to my friends right can't do it with family because I'm half someone which you probably don't know because they don't say my last name correctly uh <laughs> which is Samoan, and I go to a lot of, uh, you know, family gatherings on my Samoan side. And um, my favorite thing is that when I go to these parties, my dad greets me with the traditional uh, Samoan greeting, which is, uh, have you said hello to your grandmother yet? Uh, which is traditional in the Samoan culture to harass your children. And when they say yes, they're like, good. Good. It's very difficult to leave a Samoan party as well because your parents will like bargain with you. It's like, okay, you can say goodbye to your grandmother. 
your grandfather, Auntie Tisha, Uncle Icky, your cousins. It's basically everyone you're saying goodbye to. But um, I, uh, I do like leaving um, parties. I, uh, I, I, I find that I'm very bad at, at leaving things. I always find I, I'm bad at the timing of leaving things I'm really bad at. Like, uh, I, like uh, three years ago, I worked on a, a little channel, uh, TVNZ, which was literally in the corridor of the TVNZ building. It was a channel that nobody watched, and I worked there underpaid for two and a half years. Really made the decision to, I, I was like, okay, I'm worth more. I'm going to leave this job. I'm going to move on to something else. I left. Two weeks later, the channel shut down, and I missed out on a two-year redundancy package. <laughs> so that was cool. That was real cool. Really love that. Really love that. I'm even bad at the uh, act of leaving, right? Like, I'm very I'm scared of, of plane journeys and planes. Uh, and I'm really, really frightened of taking off in a plane because someone once told me that that's, like, when most airplane crashes, like, happen, which is just terrible to tell me because I freak out about that shit. My favourite thing to do, though, when we're taking off on the plane and they're doing all the onboard announcements is just to really quietly say to myself, because I usually travel alone, just loud enough for the person next to me to hear, I just like to mutter, there's something they're not telling us. <laughs> something they're not telling us. They're doing the meal announce announcement and they're like, it's a beef goulash, there's something they're not telling us. <laughs> so I'm bad, I'm bad in that regard. Um, sorry, I'm checking my thing. But I, um, I think I've always been a natural, like, stayer. I'm not a leaver, I'm a nester. Like, I, I, I like staying where I am, I like staying inside, I like watching Netflix with my cat. Like, I friggin' love that. And I go on Facebook and I look at all my friends from high school and they're like, in Greece and I'm like, fuck you. Uh, where do you get the money to do that? It's bullshit. But, um, but I have actually decided to leave. I am leaving uh, New Zealand and I'm moving to uh, London, uh, which, is, which is silly. And <laughs> it's silly, but it's kind of necessary. I've kind of been uh, forced. It's, it's kind of like good timing because I've been forced into these circumstances. My mother, who I live with, uh, she is actually leaving. She's leaving to move to Kampala, Uganda. I know, bad decision, right? Uh, <laughs> after the shit I've heard tonight, I'm going to be like, mm, maybe rethink that. Uh, <laughs> She's going to teach at an international school. She loves it. She's a, she's, she's a white lady who's an African inside. It's ridiculous. Like, seriously, on, like, Facebook, I'll see, like, wall posts where she'll, like, end it with hashtag Africa Unite, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. She's Rastafari, and she digs it. She loves it. She's always wanted to go, though, and she's finally can. I'm so happy for her, but that means that I have to leave my house, which I, we've lived in for about 28 years. And um, our house, yeah, and it's a housing corp house. So we got that from the government when my parents were a poor, struggling family with three kids in a tiny house, and now it's just me and my mother. We just managed to slip under the radar for that long with the government, and now we thought we thought we'd be kicked out, but we're actually leaving on our own accord, which is really strange, and it's really weird to kind of pack down a house that you never actually owned but you felt like you grew up in and kind of owned in a certain way like my mum, she lives in the room that I was born in like sometimes she looks up at the ceiling and remembers can actually take her back to when she was giving birth to me <laughs> and like trying to zone out at a certain pot, spot of the ceiling which is really gross when you think about it but I think it's kind of sweet I don't know and so there's a lot of history in that house and we're going through the process of packing that down. I'm getting rid of all my possessions, which I find really hard because I feel like I'm very shallow and my possessions define me. And <laughs> they do because 
all the things I own, they kind of just add to who I am as a person, uh, but I'm getting rid of all the stuff. And what I've done, though, I've done the most psychopathic thing, and that I've given away all my DVDs and books and all the stuff, but I've kept a Google uh, Sheets document as to who I gave it to, <laughs> and I've put a sticker and a stamp in every one of those books and DVDs, so when I come back, I can fucking get my outsider DVD back. Uh, <laughs> because that cost me $30 in 2002. Um, also, I'm trying to get rid of actually a very large Kenny Loggins poster if anyone is interested. That, funnily enough, I bought when we got drunk together once, Joseph, and you told me to buy it. Stand by the decision. It's a nice poster. It is a nice poster. It's very large, though. Um, so yeah, I, um, I am moving to London, and uh, for a number of reasons, it's a good step up, it's a, it's a challenge, it's exciting, but mostly because I'm stupid and I fell in love with an English man, and, uh, which is really lame. And I, uh, I, his name's James, he's a comedian, and I met him, the first time we met actually was here at the basement. Uh, we were both, I was doing a show here in the comedy festival, and he was doing an extra show uh, down at the basement, and I was, he was just finishing, and I was getting ready for my show. And uh, that show that year, for some reason, I took off my clothes at the end uh, to reveal myself in like a gold sequin crop top with like party girl written on my arms <laughs> in scrapbooking diamantes. <laughs> so the first, literally the first time we met, he was walking in and as I was just like applying a pee onto my arm. <laughs> and he fell in love with me because I'm, because I'm perfect. Um, sorry. No, it was actually a year later that we actually met and we got together. And um, at first he was like, oh, I'm not looking for anything. And I was like, yeah, I just want to make out. And <laughs> then I took him to a waterfall because I'm a fucking baller. <laughs> and three weeks later he was like, oh, you remember my girlfriend? I'm like, oh, okay. Um, which is a real casual way of entering a fucking long distance relationship <laughs> as well. Right? Like, it's a really bizarre thing. Like, a long-distance relationship is really difficult. I figured out, right, that um, I'm going to Edinburgh in August, and that's going to be the first time I've seen him in three months. But out of 15 months of going out, by the time August hits, we've seen each other, been physically in the same country as each other for five of those months. That was the most deathly silence I've ever heard. <laughs> Just a room full of people being like, you're a fucking idiot. Um, you're a, you're a munter. It's so weird as well with long-distance relationships. I've never been in one. And uh, the weirdest thing about long-distance relationships is that when you um, talk to each other because you're on the other sides of the world, you're on opposite time zones, right? So, so, like, you've got no idea how many conversations you'll have with your boyfriend or girlfriend where they're fucking drunk as shit <laughs> and you're sober at work. <laughs> and the conversations are always the best because it's just someone going, I love you, though! You don't even understand that I love you! <laughs> Just when you be here, I'm gonna strangle you, right? <laughs> it's love you so much. It's really terrible. It's really terrible. But um, but yeah, no, uh, he is a big reason uh, for for going to uh, England, and uh, he's a cool guy. Um, and I think um, I think I'm very scared. I've been really scared, and uh, I, I guess. It's a big step to move somewhere because you're in love with someone. And it's not only that reason that I'm moving. I want to move because I think um, I, I, it's time to move. And I'm 23. I've got a two-year fucking visa. I can come back when I'm 25. And I work in AS color. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. 
But I think that when you tell people that uh, you know you're moving, you get two kinds of people who either tell you that you're going to regret never doing it, or that you're going to regret doing it, right? Like I, I, people tell me that I'm going to regret doing it because I, I've got an awesome job here, uh, things are kind of working well, I've got great friends, great family, and then there are people who are more romantic, I suppose, and tell me you have to do it because you're going to regret not doing it. But what I find, especially being in New Zealand, which is difficult, is that because we kind of come from one of the best countries ever. Very patriotic. Fucking, I don't give a shit. I love my country. Fucking love my country. I do think that New Zealand is one of the most beautiful, best places ever, like in the whole entire world. And it's so difficult to leave that, to leave that comfort. It's actually really hard for all of us. Like, it's kind of strange that we're a kind of country made up of people who moved from the other side of the world to a tiny, tiny island. They're all kind of adventurers and kind of pioneers. But we just went, nah, we're really good here. We're not going to go back. And as soon as you tell someone that you're going to go and try it and make it somewhere else, a real New Zealand attitude is to be like, well, who you fucking think you are? <laughs> you know, like, people are like, you too fucking good for the three channels we have here. <laughs> it's just, it's really strange. And they're like, like, seriously, like, so many people have just been like, you'll be back. <laughs> like... And it's really hard. So, um, but I, I think I, I think it's time to kind of leave. But I can't say that I'm not going to miss a lot of things from uh, living in this country and having you know my roots here. And I thought I'd end uh, my great story. Uh, what a story! It was very much a story. Uh, and just a list, uh, just a silly list of things that I'll miss and um, what I won't miss. Should I start with the things I will miss? Yeah, that's nice. Okay, um, okay, things I will miss. A list. <clears throat> Watching Vibe with my sister-in-law, Claire. It's a good channel, woman's channel. <laughs> For Weddings and a Funeral was on the other night, and it was really cool. <laughs> Being a 15-minute drive away from my nan. She's a friggin' legend. It's really nice. Tat Peninsula. Mm, fancy. Um, nice lamb. <laughs> lamb is real bad some places, right? We've got a good, guys. Aotearoa. Um... <laughs> Talking to my friend Alex on Facebook chat when I'm supposed to be working. Shout out. <laughs> Coast FM. <laughs> Watching my mum watch Graham Norton on the couch on a Friday night and just fucking have a ball. <laughs> That's what I miss. I'll miss it so much. Playing Mario Kart with my friend Paul. That's a really weird one to end on. Um, what I won't miss, what I won't miss about New Zealand, paying $400 for an IUD. <laughs> it's fucking, that's actually how much it costs. Isn't that, it's ridiculous. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Overpriced berries. <laughs> they're so expensive. Meeting people in real life that I've had passive-aggressive encounters on with on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Happens so much. <laughs> Bloody Auckland house prices, am I right? <laughs> All right. But I guess the thing, I, uh, the last one, and thanks for listening, uh, the one I will m not miss the most is being recognised as that chick from Jono and Ben. So I'm really not going to miss that. But um, yeah, I'm going to miss all of you. Uh, thank you. Um, this is the end of uh, my story. A big thanks to our speakers, Simon, Hamish, Brendan, Aisha and Rose.
If you've got a great story to tell or would like to learn more, visit us at thewatercooler.co.nz and be sure to sign up for our newsletter to hear about our upcoming live shows. This episode was produced by Sarah Finnegan-Walsh and special thanks to The Basement Theatre and New Zealand On Air for their continued support. I'm your host, Joseph Harper. Join us again for more stories from The Water Cooler.